Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Once again, we're going to explore a major prophetic development that I hope will help you see that we are very near the end of time. I want you to understand that our monthly messages are not meant to scare you, but to urge you to get ready. But please don't get ready for the coming of the Lord because you're afraid of the mighty conflict that is about to engulf the world. Get ready because you love Jesus and you see that his coming is near. Christ is the center of our hope. He's the one that will sustain us through the time of the end. It is Jesus that will be the victor in your life against the enemy. Please order your set of DVDs called Prophetic Secrets of the New World Order that we did last year with Secrets Unsealed. You need to see and hear the foundations of the great prophetic movements that are taking place in our world. These DVDs will help you prioritize what issues in our society are prophetic and which are not that important. It will give you a sense of principle that will help guide you and your understanding as you read the news. Prophetic Secrets is especially done for you and your family. Also, you can share it with your friends and church family. These DVDs will make the movements in our culture come alive. They are easy to understand in light of Bible prophecy, so order them today. Call this number with your credit card, 540-672-3553. That's 540-672-3553 in the United States. Also, I want to tell you about a new product from Last Generation magazine. More and more people are secular-minded and have no religious background or interest. The health message is still the entering wedge, especially to worldly secular people as well as people of faith. Last Generation has created a way for you to share your faith through our health message in an attractive format with people who may not be ready for openly religious material. It will be great on the street. Last Generation is about to publish an attractive special issue on health that will share compelling stories about people who have used the eight natural remedies to reverse conditions like heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, cancer, and obesity. The magazine will include well-documented articles as well as how a plant-based diet, exercise, and other important remedies like rest and a positive mental outlook are crucial to restoring and maintaining health. Use this in your personal and church outreach to share with friends, neighbors, co-workers, and to people on the street who are struggling with health issues. Last Generation is also integrating this magazine with online resources such as Bible studies, books, and web-based materials, especially designed for reaching the secular mind. This is an excellent opportunity for you to get a great tool for outreach. Look for the insert in this month's mailer to secure your pre-press order at the best prices. You'll qualify for free shipping in the United States and Australia if you order by April 14. To begin, let us bow our heads in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus who loves us with an everlasting love. 
Thank you for providing your Holy Spirit to help us understand the signs of the times. Please send him today as we study this important topic concerning the relentless war on cash. Teach us from your word how we are to navigate the times in which we live. In Jesus' name, amen. The old adage, cash is king, will eventually have no relevance. But as you will see, we are rapidly coming to the time when cash will be eliminated. The technology is already essentially in place. Listen to this statement from the Testimonies for the Church, Volume 8, pages 27 and 28. The world is a theater, and the actors, its inhabitants, are preparing to act their part in the last great drama. God is lost sight of. And with the great masses of humanity, there is no unity except as men confederate to accomplish their selfish purposes. God is looking on. His purposes in regard to his rebellious subjects will be fulfilled. The world has not been given into the hands of men, though God is permitting the elements of confusion and disorder to bear sway for a season. The power from beneath is working to bring about the last scenes in the drama, Satan coming as Christ and working with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in those who are binding themselves together in secret societies. Those who are yielding to the passion for confederation are working out the plans of the enemy. Cause will be followed by effect. Did you hear that about confederation and secret societies? There are many secret societies today, and their aim is to confederate the world into one global system of government and control. And this cannot happen without them getting control of the global economy. But let us start today with some important Bible verses that puts the issue of a cashless society into perspective. Revelation 18, 11-19. Listen to this carefully. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. And now come to verse 15. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour so great riches is come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors, as many as trade by sea, stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour she is made desolate." Notice that there will be a great crisis for the merchants of the earth, the central bankers. They will be in the, such a bad place that they'll throw dust on their heads and weep and mourn. They are going to lose their power and whole nations will go bankrupt, and it's likely to happen suddenly. The money men of the earth, the corporate sharks, the central bankers, are headed for a crash like they never dreamed of. The Bible says these merchants of the earth have collaborated with the Vatican to achieve enormous wealth. They manipulate the economy to enrich themselves. It's like a game to many of them, and while you and I struggle to make a few coins to rub together, they are living high on the hog. 
They suck the life out of your assets by manipulating currencies, by taxation, and by the control of inflation, and by controlling the economic flows of the world. They bleed your economic potential and hand it to the few bankers and merchants that control the system. While this sounds unbelievable, it happens to be true. The more digitized a nation's money is, the easier it is for banks to impose negative interest. Well, what's that? Well, that is when you pay the bank to hold your money. Instead of paying interest to the lender, which is you, the bank customer, you pay the bank for the privilege of loaning them the money. If you are forced to keep all your funds in a digital format, banks can impose negative interest rates and suck more out of you than you could ever imagine. It's about as upside down as you can get. Sweden, Denmark, and Switzerland all have negative interest rates, and their economy is already almost completely digital. But the U.S. Federal Reserve recently discussed the possibility of using negative interest rates in the U.S. too. Negative rates could not exist in a free market. They destroy the motivation to save and build capital, which is the basis of prosperity. If you don't like that plan, you can stash your cash under your bed. Cash limits how far governments and central banks can go with negative interest rates. The more it costs to store your money at the bank, the less inclined people are to do it. So banks have to go digital to achieve their goals. Of course, central planners don't want you to withdraw money from the bank. This is a big reason why they want to eliminate cash, so you can't. They want everybody to have a bank account, and as long as your money stays in the bank, it's vulnerable to the sting of negative interest rates, and also helps to prop up the unsound fractional reserve banking system. If you can't withdraw cash, you have two choices. You can accept negative interest rates, or you can spend your money. Ultimately, that's what central bankers want. They will use negative interest rates to force you to spend your money, or otherwise it will be taken from you a little at a time. The war on cash and negative interest rates are huge threats to your financial security and your liberty. But why do the central bankers and the governments of the earth want to control the money flow? Well, it's money that makes the world go round. Money to these merchants is everything, because they're getting rich by it. They have vested interests in controlling it. They use the economic system to their advantage. And when they have all the cash under their control, they can manipulate the system even more. But most of all, governments can control their citizens that way. By removing cash from society, governments are bringing all your financial transactions under the radar. And when they bring all the economy into the digital environment, it gives them complete control over everything that goes on in your life. They know that most people cannot live without at least some money. They know that if they have all your money under their control, they can track you and manipulate you into compliance with the New World Order so that you are not free. It will strengthen globalization so that it can be enforced more easily. A cashless economy gives the government the ability to centrally plan everything for you. Like communism, it gives democratic governments complete control over their citizens. Often the media use a curious, neutral-sounding word to describe these central planners and globalists. That word is policymakers. But there is no difference. And this is where religious freedom comes into it. 
While governments and central banks are collaborating to organize a digital economy and enforcing it on the nations, creating more centralization of power in a globalized world, the papacy is standing ready to enforce her religion on everybody, once those mechanisms are in place globally. After all, Revelation 13.8 says that all the world worships the beast, or the papacy. How will that happen? By coercion, that is, economic coercion. And verse 16 makes it clear. If you don't accept the mark of the beast, you will not be able to buy or sell. And the merchants of the earth are already collaborating with the Vatican. So when the time comes, they will be ready to enforce the papal worship plan. And the technology men are part of it too. Without them, the digital economy would not work. No wonder it was so important for Pope Francis to connect with men like Eric Schmidt, the CEO of Alphabet, the parent company of Google, and a number of other technology companies. He also met with Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, and with Kevin Systrom, the founder of Instagram. Francis also met with Christine Lagarde last year, the director of the International Monetary Fund. This globalist financial institution places money under the control of corrupt leaders of banana republics and other struggling nations who take some of it and hide it in those shell companies in protected places. The Pope has also had audiences with Jim Young Kim, President of the World Bank, Mario Draghi, President of the European Central Bank, and others. The economy is very important to the Vatican, and if she's ever going to get the world to worship her in her way, she has to control the money because most people worship money. If she is ever going to enforce her worship, as the Bible says, she has to collaborate with global corporations and individual CEOs to get rid of cash, or at least minimize the use of cash, so that governments and businesses will be able to enforce her will on the people in exchange for making them rich. That's why the Vatican is an organization that pushes globalism. But larger and more global solutions are being developed to remove your liberty and independence and get everyone on the so-called economic grid so that every transaction can be tracked through international banking conglomerates and by governments. Once the controls are in place, the enemy of souls can bring in the reign of the mark of the beast and enforce it with no-buy, no-sell laws. Let's read it in Revelation thirteen sixteen and 17. Listen to what it says. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. In other words, unless you accept the mark of the beast, you won't be able to buy or sell. You can't conduct any transactions or use your smartphone or your online banking account. You won't be able to walk into a store or shop and buy even a pack of chewing gum. You won't be able to buy fuel. You won't be able to heat your home, pay your electric bill, or your mortgage. In other words, you won't have any place to live. You won't have any place to go, and you won't have any place to hide, if the powers of this earth have their way. Surveillance will surround you, and you cannot escape. And if you don't have cash and your bank assets are frozen, which refers to your money being locked and inaccessible, you're stuck. The infrastructure for this is already essentially developed. Sounds scary? You will have to choose to rely totally on Christ or fall under the enemy's dominance. 
What an amazing experience to be dependent on Christ, to provide even your bread and water. You'll be completely reliant on Christ to survive from day to day. That's not something very comfortable to most people, and they're not ready to do it. They're used to earning money so they can pay their bills. They're used to using their cash or their credit card or smartphone to buy their groceries. Do you think God might have to feed you like he fed Elijah in the wilderness? Remember, Elijah went on the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. Friends, if you don't learn to become dependent on Christ now, how will you ever be ready to depend on him then? When God gives you an opportunity to trust him, why do you whine and complain? Christ knows what you need, even before you actually need it. He gives you grace to hold on, even when it seems impossible to do so. Friends, I know what that is like. I know that there have been times in my life when I have been completely without resources. I have had no options, no choices, and no place to turn. I could only turn to Christ. In times of trouble, we must automatically turn to Christ, my friends. I'm very serious about what I'm saying. I believe we must learn the meaning of real trust. Unless we do, we'll be caught up in the overwhelming surprise that will take the world captive in Satan's snare. Here's a statement from Testimonies to the Church, Volume 8, page 28. Transgression has almost reached its limit. Confusion fills the world, and a great terror is soon to come upon human beings. The end is near. We who know the truth should be preparing for what is soon to break upon the world as an overwhelming surprise. And that involves cash. Until cash is controlled, Bible prophecy will not be completely fulfilled. When it is, God's faithful people will be reduced to the barter system overnight. Most people will freak out when that happens. How will they survive? How will they pay their obligations, their debts, their mortgages, their credit card debt? How will they support their children's education? How will they plan for retirement? I dare say that there are many of God's people who have no idea what is coming upon them. They continue planning for a life of ease and tranquility, but they don't realize that there's a storm brewing that will be to them an overwhelming surprise. But all of that is the big picture. Let's talk about the way that impacts your daily life. Smartphones with smart software can now be used to pay for things at the checkout counter. You don't even have to carry around credit cards, let alone cash. Just your smartphone is all you need, which you authorize by a fingerprint. Maybe some of you have already used these types of transactions. They will only increase as time goes on. The technology is already being tested to have all items on the shelf in stores and shops to be RFID compatible. In other words, all you have to do is pass your whole cart by the scanner, verify your form of payment, and all the items in your cart or basket will be calculated and added up instantly. No need for a cashier to scan each item individually. Only pass by the scanner, tap your phone on the payment device, and out pops a receipt for payment. Magic, right? Well, hold on. With all that technology goes much of your freedom and privacy, perhaps a lot more than you realize and a lot more than you want to give up. When pizza is delivered to your door, the driver will have a smart device that you can tap with your phone and the pizza is paid for. The same will happen for other deliveries. Airlines already use scanners to track and report on your baggage, check your boarding pass. They have payment devices for your credit card when you buy onboard food. 
and vending machines and toll roads are increasingly cashless. Immigration in many countries uses RFID technology to process passengers. Paper is down wherever these technologies exist, and technologies are being developed to wipe out your need for cash altogether. <clears throat> the aim of the globalists is to get rid of cash, and they're pushing really hard. Just recently, some of the very wealthiest people on the planet were invited to the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland for their annual economic discussion to forecast trends and try to understand the coming issues in the world that affect them and their prospects for gaining even more wealth. The Davos meeting is a very important yearly event for these super-rich individuals. No doubt there are many there who worship money and hoard it in their secret shell companies around the world. This conclave of the high priests of monetary policy almost invariably sing the same chorus, that only criminals and terrorists use high denominations of cash. This useful mantra gets people to think they need to get rid of cash. doesn't matter that it's not actually true. Joseph Stiglitz, a Nobel laureate and economist, made a few remarks at that meeting which should shock you. He suggested that the United States get rid of currency. Yes, that's right. He said the U.S. should not only get rid of its $100 bills, but also its 50s, 20s, 10s, 5s, and even its nearly worthless ones. Stiglitz thinks that regular people don't need paper money. As usual, he made the claim that cash is only useful for drug dealers, terrorists, tax evaders, and money launderers. Of course, that's not the whole story. Take the Islamic State, for instance, and while the U.S. military and others have blown up more than a billion dollars worth of the Islamic State's stockpiles of physical cash during airstrikes, it hasn't affected their activities very much. The fact is, the most notorious terrorist group on the planet famously uses both the world's oldest currency, which is gold, and the world's newest currency, Bitcoin, an unregulated digital cryptocurrency. Bitcoin, by the way, is on government radar. They do not like it because it removes the possibility of total control over the economy. Former U.S. Treasury Secretary Larry Summers sings the same tune. He says the analysis is totally convincing on the linkage between high-denomination notes and crime, and that it's important to stop the use of high-denomination notes, making it harder for criminals to ply their trade. But the elimination of high-denomination notes is just a step away from eliminating lower-denomination notes and eventually all cash altogether. Ken Rogoff, Harvard professor and former official at the International Monetary Fund and Federal Reserve, recently published a book blatantly entitled The Curse of Cash. Ben Bernanke, former chairman of the Federal Reserve, called it a fascinating and important book. Rogoff, like most of his colleagues, contends that large bills like the $100 note or the 500 euro note are only used in drug trade, extortion, bribes, and human trafficking, etc. In fact, they jokingly refer to the 500 euro note as the Bin Laden, since it's apparently only used by terrorists. Rogoff believes that most cash transactions in the United States are small and do not require $100 bills. The $100 bill is on the radar. The Boston Federal Reserve said that only 5% of American consumers use $100 notes. 
While these globalists parrot the old line that cash only facilitates illegal and illicit activity, nowadays drug dealers and prostitutes accept credit cards. Whatever you're selling on the street corner, hot dogs or marijuana, there are many payment solutions like Stripe, Square, PayPal, or Apple Pay that allow anyone to accept credit card payments. But the elites have a reason why they continue to reframe the idea that all the scumbags in the world would disappear if we took away all the cash. They know that most good trusting people will believe this line, especially if it is repeated enough. Fear, especially of terrorists, but also other fears, drives much of what we do. So most elites, including government rulers, have jumped on board the cash ban bandwagon. Removing cash from society isn't about solving tax evasion or crime. There will still be plenty of that. It's not about illegal activity. There will still be plenty of that. It's about totalitarianism, taking away your liberty, your power of choice, and your freedom to live as you please. And now, after the Cyprus crisis, you should know that when you deposit money into a bank account, it is no longer yours. It becomes the property of the bank. You are merely an unsecured creditor, and they have the power to freeze you out of your life savings without even giving you a courtesy call. Physical cash provides consumers such as you and me with another option. If you don't want to keep 100% of your savings tied up in a system that's rigged against you and has a long history of stealing their customers' money, you can instead hold physical cash with very little downside. No one is standing between you and your savings. Stiglitz, Summers, Rogoff, and their numerous cronies among the elites don't want that. They want a massive, centralized bureaucracy to have control over your savings. But it's more than merely getting control over your savings. It's deeper than surveillance and tracking. It's something of which even these economic high priests are not aware. It's something very prophetic. They cannot scare you into compliance with global worship laws if they don't get control of every transaction on the planet. They would even like to control the barter if they could. But perhaps the barter will be the only way underground transactions can occur in the coming digital economy, if the elites have their way. Apparently the time has come to push for a cashless world, and it's happening in many places. Keep the Faith Ministry has been keeping track of this process since 2003. We continually report on this whenever something prophetically newsworthy comes to our attention. Starting with a drive for less cash, it will become, eventually, a drive for no cash. Shortly after the Davos meeting in 2016, the European Commission, the most well-known sanctuary of statism, published a letter to the Council of Europe and the European Parliament about their action plan to further step up the fight against the financing of terrorism, which is elite-speak for eliminating cash, among other things. The action plan builds on existing EU rules to adapt to new threats and aims at updating EU policies in line with international standards. The plan says, and I quote, payments in cash are widely used in the financing of terrorist activities. In this context, the relevance of potential upper limits to cash payments could also be explored. Several member states have in place prohibitions for cash payments above a specific threshold. End quote. 
They want to extend the scope of regulation to control cash that enters and leaves the EU and establish upper limits on cash payments. The EU has already stopped producing the 500 euro note and now it is charging towards the utopian dream of a cashless society. The war on cash is happening at a faster rate than we could have imagined 20 years ago. Every time we turn around, there's another major assault on cash, it seems. India is the most notable recent example in which the Narendra Modi government stunned the nation by demonetizing its two largest denominations of cash, the 500 and 1,000 rupee notes, overnight, leaving the entire nation in chaos. Modi is shoving millions of street vendors into cashless transactions and economic crisis. People cannot buy their products right now because they don't have cash. Modi's surprise unilateral announcement hatched secretly in a back room of his own home with a small group of high-level insiders wiped out 86% of the nation's currency overnight, leaving the vendors at markets to suffer losses. It also pushed millions of new users onto the country's digital economic grid by virtual fiat, forcing them to set up digital payment systems with which they are unfamiliar, even though most of their customers do not have the capability to make digital payments because they lack their own bank accounts. Modi intends to help India leapfrog into a less cash-use economy, at par with more developed nations. Long queues at banks and ATMs in every city frustrated the people as they scrambled to exchange their high-value banknotes for lower denominations. Banks didn't even have enough cash in lower denominations to meet the demand, so restrictions on the amount that could be exchanged were implemented, leaving people in economic limbo. The transition, originally planned to take 50 days to redeem the high-denomination notes, could now take up to a year. The state of Goa's government has announced that the city will go cashless, meaning every street vendor, rickshaw driver, and shopkeeper must offer their customers an e-commerce option. Modi's rhetoric has changed since the original late-night announcement on November 8, 2016, from fighting black money, crime, and terrorism to creating a cashless society altogether. Most of the Western world has become comfortable with digital transactions, and even some places in the developing world, like Kenya and Zimbabwe. But in India, most of the poor are uneducated and don't know how to use the credit debit card machines. To make matters worse, power outages are routine, and phone signals are very weak in many places. And whether India's cashless drive will work remains to be seen. But Modi's globalist plan to get rid of cash is taking the cashless agenda to a new level. Traders and trade organizations, however, are rising to Modi's call for a less cash society, which will lead to a cashless society. They are mobilizing a massive training operation in conjunction with banks and digital payment companies to educate traders how to use cashless payment systems. Many Western countries are already largely ready for a less cash move. Larry Summers thinks that the nations of the world should eliminate high denomination notes. He recently wrote that nothing in the Indian experience gives us pause in rec recommending that no more large notes be created in the United States, Europe, or around the world. In other words, despite the chaos in India, Summers thinks the U.S. should still curtail the $100 bill. The United States is essentially digitally ready for cashless. Very few Americans carry much cash with them anymore. 
They've been incentivized to use credit cards through points programs, airline miles, and yes, even cash back on purchases, and it's beginning to appear that people don't care if they can't spend cash. More and more shops have turned to a no-cash model. It is more common than you think. The Internet is all no-cash. Airlines are often no-cash, and also some shops. Your Benjamins, Hamiltons, Jacksons, or Grants aren't welcome. Even some parking lots don't take cash anymore. And though the no-cash model is still an oddity, that is going to change. I think we are sort of on the edge of seeing more and more businesses that don't take cash, said Jay Zagorski, economist and research scientist at Ohio State University. Zagorski thinks that in a few years, more and more stores will not accept cash. There's even a trend away from paper checks to digital transactions. The United States has already discontinued producing the $500 U.S. note. Canada has stopped producing its $1,000 note, and Singapore ceased issuing its $10,000 ringgit banknotes. In a world where legal commerce is increasingly conducted via electronic payment systems, eliminating high-denomination notes makes sense to these elites because it is a natural step toward cashless economies. Australia is also mostly cashless now. Electronic non-cash transactions have soared, and check payments in Australia have declined dramatically and are now a dying payment form. And since Australia is to implement a new payments system in 2018, the use of checks will decline even further. Studies by the Reserve Bank of Australia show that more people than ever are using electronic options for payments. 47% of transactions in 2013 were paid by cash, which is down from 62% in 2010 and 67% in 2007. Card use is up to 43% from 26% in 2007. Meanwhile, just days after India demonetized its 1,500 rupee notes, UBS, the huge international banking conglomerate, said Australia should follow India's lead. UBS said that removing the supposedly rarely seen Australian $100 notes from circulation would be good for the economy and good for the banks. UBS's self-serving reason is that it would swell bank deposits as people bring their alleged hoarded $100 banknotes for deposit. Getting rid of cash would reduce reliance on so many bank branches. According to UBS, benefits may include reduced crime because it would make crime difficult to monetize, increased tax revenue by uncovering hidden taxable income, and reduced welfare fraud such as those claiming welfare while earning or hoarding cash. And all this comes after Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull said he was open to scrapping the five-cent piece, Australia's smallest coin, due to its dwindling use, the rise of electronic payments, and its cost to produce, which is now six cents each. New Zealand has already gotten rid of its five-cent piece. The drive to reduce cash in Australia is going on full steam. Banks are starting to use Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, and the bank's own internal payment systems built into their apps. Citibank has decided to stop dealing in cash at some of its local branches in Australia. However, in a digital world where almost everything we do is being tracked and where cash payments are 
about the only privacy they still have, Australians are nevertheless obliging quite readily. With 53% of transactions now digital, Aussies are increasingly digital. Banks, regulators, and payment companies want to see cash go away. And as its use declines, the cost of making, distributing, and handling cash also rises. Plus, governments want better control over taxation and more effective means of fighting fraud and other crimes. Of course, fighting crime is good, so long as it's actual crime. But what about when an activity that has never been a crime suddenly becomes one, such as some forms of worship or Sabbath-keeping or whatever? The Reserve Bank of Australia, the RBA, says that Australian dollars may come only in digital form in the future. The RBA has flagged the end of the check, more or less in the near future. The central bank believes that there is a place for central bank-issued digital currency in Australia. But with cybersecurity and cryptography issues still not entirely resolved, a country like Australia that uses fully digital currency is still some time away. And though the RBA is not actively considering introducing a digital currency in Australia just yet, it is possible that the bank will produce and distribute such a currency in the future that would circulate parallel and on par to banknotes and coins as a prelude to demonetizing cash. Central banks in other countries like the Bank of England, the Bank of Canada, and even the Bank of China are researching the possibility of demonetizing cash. Supermarket customers in Britain are being offered the chance to pay their, for their shopping by using a fingerprint, said the BBC. This started all the way back in 2006. Three co-op stores in the Oxford area are offering the service, and by now there are certainly more. It is said to be the first of its kind in Europe. It means that shoppers do not need to carry cash or cards to the supermarket and need not remember chip and pin numbers. The new system allows customers to have a finger scan linked to their bank details so payments for goods can be taken directly from their accounts, said the BBC. It is free to use for customers who can register at home on the Internet or at the participating stores, according to the BBC. Could we soon have the ability to bypass the ID card or coordinated driver's license altogether? How easy would it be to link the fingerprint to government databases and record all sorts of information about customers way beyond their buying patterns? The leaders in going cashless are the Scandinavian countries, Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. I don't use cash anymore for anything, said Louise Henriksen, 26, a teaching assistant in Sweden. You just don't need it. Shops don't want it. Lots of banks don't even have it, and even for a candy bar or a paper, you use a card or phone. Cash transactions now make up only 2% of the value of all payments in Sweden in 2015, and only 6% of transactions in Norway. In retail shops, cash is now used for barely 20% of all payments, half the number five years ago. Retailers and services are increasingly eliminating cash so much that Swedes and other Scandinavians are used to cashless payments. For instance, Swedish buses have not taken cash for years. To buy a bus ticket in Stockholm Metro with cash is impossible, and retailers are legally entitled to refuse coins and notes. Of Sweden's 1,600 banks, 900 of them no longer accept cash deposits or keep cash on hand, and many rural branches no longer have ATMs. Over the last year's circulation of Swedish krona, 
fell to 80 billion from 106 billion. I think in practice, Sweden will pretty much be a cashless society within about five years, said Nicholas Arvidsson, associate professor of Stockholm's Royal Institute of Technology. Cards, the main form of payment, are now used three times more than Europeans. But mobile apps have also taken off as technology has become more ubiquitous. Swish, a highly popular app with over 9 million payments a month, allows customers to transfer money between banks in real time. Swish has pretty much killed cash for most people, as far as person-to-person -person payments are concerned, said Arvidsson. It has the same features as a cash payment, real-time clearing. Mobile apps with many card readers attached to their phones are now common. Churches have also adopted cashless payments, with one church reporting that 85% of their donations were made by phone. Sweden's Nordic neighbors, Norway, Denmark, and Finland, are also fast becoming entirely cashless societies. Israel has established a special committee to study methods to bring Israel into a cashless society. They have recommended a three-phase plan to essentially do away with cash transactions in Israel. The reason for examining a cashless economy, says the government, as usual, is to combat money laundering, tax evasion, maximize potential tax collection, as well as expand the tax base. The committee recommends greater restriction on the use of cash, limiting the use of cash and promotion of electronic payments. Their plan involves gradual limiting of cash transactions for businesses immediately with lower limits later on. Stiff fines would apply to violators. If governments are successful in enforcing a cashless society, they will not only have control of taxation, but they will also be in a position to enforce anything else they desire on their citizens. Just the threat of freezing their assets will be a powerful persuader. Israel is the only Seventh-day Sabbath-keeping nation on the planet. Will it be one of the first to enforce a worship law? The enemy loves to use the very ones who were once God's people to fulfill his will. In just the last few years, Italy made cash transactions over a thousand euros illegal. Switzerland proposed banning cash payments in excess of a hundred thousand francs. Russia banned cash transactions over ten thousand dollars. Spain banned cash transactions over two thousand five hundred euros. Mexico made cash payments of more than two hundred thousand pesos illegal. Uruguay banned cash transactions over $5,000, and France made cash transactions over 1,000 euros illegal, down from the previous limit of 3,000 euros. These are just some of the less cash moves going on around the world. National governments are not the only governments moving against cash. So are some local governments. For instance, the, new, the city of New Orleans has stopped accepting cash for payments at its motor vehicles department. Its Oktoberfest beer festival is now a cashless event as well. London buses and many shops now refuse to take notes or coins, preferring touch-and-go mobile technology using smartphones. The city of Bergamo, Italy, collaborated with credit card companies, local merchants and media and other partners to incentivize its citizens to go cashless. They set goals and gave prizes when the city achieved cashless transaction goals. Individuals got prizes too. And like in Scandinavia, Amsterdam is nearly cashless now. 
In Kenya, there is a payment system that allows millions of unbanked citizens to store digital cash on their phones and transfer it to anyone by text. Zimbabwe is similar with its own economic ecosystem. And there are many others. Cash is being relegated to second-class status. But does the data support the idea that fighting terrorism and crime requires the removal of high-denomination notes? Not at all. Criminals will still be criminals. Terrorists will still be terrorists. They will find ways to ply their trade outside the cashless environment. It turns out that the data shows that countries with higher denominations of cash actually have much lower crime rates, including organized crime. And if you look at the World Economic Forum's competitive rankings that assesses countries' levels of organized crime, as well as the direct business costs of dealing with crime and violence, you will find that countries with high denomination notes tend to have much less crime than countries that don't. Switzerland, with its 1,000 Swiss franc note, which is roughly 1,000 U.S. dollars, has among the lowest levels of organized crime in the world, according to the World Economic Forum. Ditto for Singapore, which has a 1,000 Singapore dollar note, which is about 700 USD. Japan's highest denomination of currency is 10,000 yen, worth about $88. Yet Japan has extremely low crime rates. Same for the United Arab Emirates, whose highest denomination is the 1,000 dirham, $272. If you examine countries with very low denominations of cash, the opposite holds true. Crime rates, and in particular organized crime rates, are extremely high. Consider Venezuela, Nigeria, Brazil, South Africa, etc. Organized crime is prevalent, yet each of these has a currency whose maximum denomination is less than $30. The same trend holds true when looking at corruption and tax evasion. Georgia, a small country on the Black Sea whose flat tax prompted tax compliance and tax revenue to soar, is considered to be one of the most efficient places to do business with very low levels of corruption. And yet the highest denomination note in Georgia is the 500 lari bill, worth about $200. That's a lot of money in a country where the average wage is a few hundred dollars per month. Compare that to Malaysia or Uzbekistan, two countries where corruption abounds. Malaysia's top cash note is 50 ringgit, worth about $11, and Uzbekistan's 5,000 som is worth a paltry $1.57. The bottom line is that the political and financial establishments want you to willingly agree with the idea of abolishing or at least reducing cash, and they are pumping out all sorts of propaganda to get you to support it by trying to get you to equate crime and corruption with high denominations of cash. Simply put, it's another scheme that will give them more power at the expense of your privacy and freedom. Friends, this is the stuff of end-time prophecy. The Bible tells us that there will come a day in which laws will be enacted criminalizing the true worship of God according to his commandments on the seventh day of the week. And to enforce that law, the penalty will be exclusion from society through corresponding no-buy, no-sell penalties and eventually the death penalty for violating these worship laws. Let us read it again from Revelation 13. 
Verse 15 through 17 and onward tells us, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak, and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. And in contrast, the third angel of Revelation 14 says, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. So the choice is yours. Who are you going to worship? Whatever it is, keep in mind that it will affect how you live in society. Either you will be fully integrated and lose your eternal salvation, or you will be excluded from society and have eternal life. That's what it boils down to, my friends. When you synthesize all that the Bible says about end-time worship issues, it becomes very clear that the economy will be tied to your worship. Right now, it doesn't seem like it is possible, perhaps. But the Bible is clear that the connection is there. After all, the merchants of the earth are actively engaged with the Vatican to make themselves rich. It will seem like the most natural thing to enforce a no-buy-no-sell law on everyone. Remember that the Bible says that all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, except those whose names are written in Jesus' book of life, who worship him and him only. Jesus gave us the example of the central issue at the end time. He overcame the enemy on the same ground we must overcome. Listen to his words to Satan in the wilderness of temptation, Luke 4, verses 6 through 8. The devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. If you therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. This is the contest for which the nations are now preparing, and it is powerfully connected to the economy. They will play out the same thing that Satan did to Christ. Listen to this statement from the Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 4, pages 423 to 425. Fearful is the issue to which the world is to be brought. The powers of earth, uniting to war against the commandments of God, will decree that no man may buy or sell save he that has the mark of the beast, and finally, that whosoever refuses to receive the mark shall be put to death. The decree is not to be urged upon the people blindly. Everyone is to have sufficient light to make his decision intelligently. The Sabbath will be the great test of loyalty for it is the point of truth especially controverted. As the controversy extends into new fields, and the minds of the people are called to God's downtrodden law, Satan is astir. The power attending the message only maddens those who oppose it. The clergy put forth almost superhuman efforts to shut away the light, lest it should shine upon their flocks. By every means at their command, they endeavor to suppress the discussion of these vital questions." Do you think that would include economic means? Of course it will. I'll read on. The church appeals to the strong arm of civil power, and in this work papists are solicited to come to the help of Protestants. The movement for Sunday enforcement becomes more bold and decided. The law is invoked against commandment keepers. They are threatened with fines. That's economic. And imprisonment, and some are offered positions of influence, and other rewards and advantages, some of which could be economic. 
as inducements to renounce their faith. But their steadfast answer is, Show us from the word of God our error. The same plea that was made by Luther under similar circumstances. Those who are arraigned before the courts make a strong vindication of the truth, and some who hear them are led to take their stand to keep all the commandments of God. Thus light is brought before thousands who otherwise would know nothing of these truths. Conscientious obedience to the word of God will be treated as rebellion. Affection will be alienated. Children will be disinherited and driven from home. The words of Paul will be literally fulfilled. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. As the defenders of truth refuse to honor the Sunday Sabbath, some of them will be thrust into prison. Some will be exiled. Some will be treated as slaves. To human wisdom, all this now seems impossible. But as the restraining spirit of God shall be withdrawn from men, and they shall be under the control of Satan, who hates the divine precepts, there will be strange developments. The heart can be very cruel when God's fear and love are removed. Friends, this is a description of the circumstances you and I will face if we are faithful to God when a cashless society is thrust upon us. A cashless economy prepares society for the Bible's end-time prediction concerning worship laws that will control who can make and spend money based on religious activities. This is similar to the way it was in the Middle Ages when Rome controlled the world. Did you notice in that statement where it says, in this work papists are solicited to come to the help of Protestants? Perhaps it goes without saying that today's evangelical leaders want to control government by working with the Trump administration to secure their aims, and this is the destination to which they're working. They are not discussing this right now. After all, the Sunday movement makes its way in darkness. Listen to this statement from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 452. While men are sleeping, Satan is actively arranging matters so that the Lord's people may not have mercy or justice. Do you think the move toward a cashless society is part of that? Let me read on. The Sunday movement is now making its way in darkness. The leaders are concealing the true issue, and many who unite in the movement do not themselves see whither the undercurrent is tending. Its professions are mild and apparently Christian, but when it shall speak, it will reveal the spirit of the dragon. It is our duty to do all in our power to avert the threatened danger. We should endeavor to disarm prejudice by placing ourselves in a proper light before the people. We should bring before them the real question at issue, thus interposing the most effectual protest against measures to restrict liberty of conscience. Friends, our work at Keep the Faith is to keep these things before you and before the world so that you can see them coming before they arrive. The relentless war on cash is one of the key prophetic markers of the end times. At the same time as globalization is maturing, as Western constitutions have been gutted, as the gay rights movement has been foisted on society, as the Jesuits have taken over the Western political order, and as the ecumenical movement has matured under Pope Francis, the war on cash is ramping up as a significant element that will prepare the world for the final steps in the great controversy between Christ and Satan. The Bible tells us that Rome manipulates the economy and will use her influence to exclude God's people from using money if they don't bow to her demands. It will end in a huge economic disaster in which the merchants of the earth will throw dust on their heads and weep and howl for their miseries. 
Oh, friends, we need to be closer to Jesus than ever. These issues are big, but they are not being discussed very much, even from the pulpits of churches that should know better. Friends, let us not forget that we have a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Your eternal destiny rests on the choices you make now. And if you live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, He will protect you when the overwhelming time of trouble comes upon the world. Oh, friends, give your heart to Jesus and the three angels' messages today. Give your heart to Jesus so that you can become a partner with Him in the latter reign. Let Christ have complete control of your life and mission. Whatever is happening in the political world, as fascinating and entertaining as it may be, let it not take your focus away from prophecy and its fulfillment. Let Jesus have your complete attention, and let His law saturate your heart with His love. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, please give us the backbone to resist the temptations of Satan to ignore the plain word of God. Please help us understand the issue that is coming to each of us. May we have clear understanding of our times and of the prophecies as they unfold before us. We're near the end, very near. For the first time in our lives, perhaps, we can clearly see that the Sunday law is very near, and the end of probationary time is soon to come. We pray that we may be ready today and every day to meet Jesus in peace. In his precious and holy name I pray. Amen. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh I need thee, every hour I need thee, oh bless me now, my Savior, I come to Thee. I need Thee every hour, stay Thou nearby, temptations Oh, bless me now, my Savior.
you've been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you so much for your support. If you've been impressed by this message and it has blessed your soul, please consider making a gift to help some other poor souls find their way to heaven through the CDs from Keep the Faith. The song you have just heard is called I Need Thee Every Hour sung by Christian Berdahl. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Consecration. This lovely CD is available from Keep the Faith Ministry, and if you would like to have a copy of this CD or copies for your friends and family, just send $16 each postpaid to U.S. addresses to cover the cost, and we will gladly send them. Please mention the Consecration CD. Our international listeners should send $20 USD. The following is our monthly prophetic intelligence briefing, a feature that brings you current events in light of Bible prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month, What do evangelicals want next from Donald Trump? President Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court is seen as a relatively young conservative justice that would help sway the court to a more conservative bent and perhaps overturn Roe v. Wade on abortion and Obergefell v. Hodges upholding gay marriage. But now that evangelical supporters of Donald Trump are almost universally pleased with his choice for the Supreme Court in Neil Gorsuch, the first Protestant nominee to the Supreme Court in many years, what do they expect next from Mr. Trump? At the National Prayer Breakfast, Trump reiterated his promise to remove the Johnson Amendment to the IRS Code that prevents pastors from advocating for or against political candidates. This will have a serious effect on church-state relations and may eventually open the door for evangelicals to have more control over the state. Evangelicals expect Trump to continue to fulfill his promises to them, said Jerry Falwell, president of Liberty University. It's a happy group of people right now, he added. Falwell said he and other leaders who were involved in Trump's campaign, such as televangelist James Robeson and Paula White, 
feel like they have had the best access to any president in recent memory. I think Trump is more one of us. He's not an elitist. He doesn't look down his nose at evangelicals and Christians and conservatives. I'm very shocked by how accessible he is to so many. He answers his cell phone any time of the day or night, Falwell said. Falwell also pointed out that hundreds of evangelicals are getting positions at lower levels of the administration. Under previous administrations, evangelicals would often go through a liaison to get their concerns heard, but not anymore. Falwell is pleased so far with his access to the Trump administration. He has regular phone and personal conversations with the president. Trump isn't listening to traditional religious leaders. Cardinal Donald Wuerl, Archbishop of Washington, said, The Archdiocese currently doesn't have channels to communicate with the White House. Perhaps the Roman Catholic Church will have to work more closely with evangelical leaders to get their agenda heard. Trump is instead listening to megachurch pastors and Christian media influencers who will talk about Trump on their shows, blogs, and Twitter feeds. In addition, evangelicals have one of their own in the White House, Vice President Mike Pence, who has called himself an evangelical Catholic. Someone like James Dobson, founder of Focus on the Family, and now host of Family Talk, can call Pence on his cell phone. Trump's evangelical council stays in touch with him weekly. Ronnie Floyd, former president of the Southern Baptist Convention and pastor of a 20,000-member church, read a scripture passage at Trump's prayer service at the National Cathedral during Trump's inauguration weekend. Floyd serves on that council. He also is especially excited by the followers of Christ, in quotes, nominated for Trump's cabinet, including Tom Price for HHES, Scott Pruitt for the EPA, Betsy DeVos for Education Secretary, Rick Perry for Energy Department, Sonny Perdue, Agriculture Secretary, and Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General. The administration has been way over the top in giving them visibility and recognition that we can bring values, Floyd said. What values would those be? Many of these evangelicals believe that America must be run on their interpretation of biblical principles. Trump's Supreme Court pick was seen as a home run, according to Russell Moore, head of the Southern Baptist Convention's Religious Liberty and Ethics Commission. The Supreme Court was the number one issue for many evangelical voters, he said. Moore expects Trump to work with Congress on more abortion legislation, including extending protections to people who don't want to provide abortions or contraception based on their conscience. Many evangelicals, Moore said, are divided over his executive order related to refugees. So far, he said, evangelicals are generally happy with Trump's administration, especially his reinstatement of a policy prohibiting funds for abortions overseas. Most people are just waiting to see what the first 100 days will look like, he said. People are wanting to assume the best and to pray for success. Evangelicals, former Protestants that is, are now taking a major role in the U.S. government. While this may bode well in some key areas, it may also lead to more dangerous implications for God's people. Remember, these evangelicals do not like Sabbatarians who reprove them by their very existence. In the last conflict, the Sabbath will be the special point of controversy throughout all Christendom. Secular rulers and religious leaders will unite to enforce the observance of Sunday. 
and as milder measures fail, the most oppressive laws will be enacted. Romanism in the old world and apostate Protestantism in the new will pursue a similar course toward those who honor the divine precepts. That's Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 4, page 444. Next, what has Trump's administration been doing for evangelicals? Though evangelicals aren't that excited about Donald Trump's irreligious past, they are very happy for what he is doing to help them with their agendas and issues. At last week's prayer breakfast, Trump reaffirmed his campaign promise to give them more power in government by removing the Johnson Amendment, which prevents churches and pastors from political activity. Trump has become a robust advocate for conservative Christian priorities, since they are key to his political success. During his first few days as U.S. President, he spoke at the National Prayer Breakfast. I will get rid of and totally destroy the Johnson Amendment, he said, and allow our representatives of faith to speak freely and without fear of retribution. Here are some of his key actions so far. First, the Supreme Court nomination of Neil Gorsuch, a strong social conservative. Judge Gorsuch has never ruled in an abortion case, but he has sided with religious conservatives in key cases and wrote a book opposing physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia. Second, the appearance by Trump's Vice President Mike Pence and a top advisor, Kellyanne Conway, at a recent annual anti-abortion march. Vice President Pence was the highest level government official ever to appear in person at the March for Life. Third, the reinstatement by executive order of a U.S. government ban on funding for international groups that provide abortion counseling. Fourth, agreement that persecuted Christians would be given priority as refugees. And fifth, Trump is reportedly considering an executive order titled Establishing a Government-Wide Initiative to Respect Religious Freedom. Evangelicals are particularly important to Trump, says John Green, an expert on religion and politics at the University of Akron in Ohio. On two issues, abortion and the Supreme Court, he made some pretty strong promises during the campaign, and at least so far he has kept them. Trump won 80% of the white evangelical vote during the election. What sealed the deal for many evangelicals and got them out to vote was Trump's campaign promise to appoint conservative judges to the Supreme Court. Note the circumstances that brought the evangelicals out to vote for Trump. Dislike of Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton and her strong support for abortion and gay rights, a vacancy on the Supreme Court after the death of Justice Antonin Scalia, and resistance to former President Obama's nomination, Merrick Garland, for that seat, and Trump's all-out promise to nominate conservative justices to the high court. All contributed to the motivation of conservative Christians to vote. Trump is staying close to his religious support base. In an interview with Conservative Christian Broadcasting Network, Trump said he relies on God more than ever as president. I would say that the office is so powerful that you need God even more, he told the Brody file. There's almost not a decision that you make when you're sitting in this position that isn't a really life-altering position. So God comes in even more so. Another factor that reassured many conservative Christians about Trump was his running mate Mike Pence, who described himself as a Christian, a conservative, and a Republican in that order. Pence is a poster child for the religious right. 
Trump is certainly playing to his support base. He's willing to do what they demand of him for the most part. And think what that could mean in the light of the following statement. The dignitaries of church and state will unite to bribe, persuade, or compel all classes to honor the Sunday. The lack of divine authority will be supplied by oppressive enactments. Political corruption is destroying love of justice and regard for truth. And even in free America, rulers and legislators, in order to secure public favor, will yield to the popular demand for a law enforcing Sunday observance. Liberty of conscience, which has cost so great a sacrifice, will no longer be respected. The Great Controversy, page 592. Next, Lutherans in Norway approve same-sex marriage. Norway's Lutheran Church voted in favor of new ceremonial language that will allow its pastors to conduct same-sex marriages, bringing it into line with several other mainstream Protestant denominations abroad. Last April, the annual conference of the church backed the principle of same-sex marriages but did not agree on the wording. The decision approved gender-neutral marriage texts, such as removing the words bride and groom. In 2015, the French Protestant Church allowed gay marriage blessings, while the U.S. Presbyterian Church approved a change in the wording of its constitution to include same-sex marriage. Norway became the second country in the world after Denmark to allow same-sex registered partnerships in 1993, and it has allowed civil same-sex marriage since 2009. Some 73% of Norwegians were members of the Lutheran Church in 2015, according to the National Statistics Agency. The number has gradually declined in recent decades, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, Luke 17, verse 28. Next, Donald Trump and the Pope. Pope Francis and U.S. President Donald Trump could meet at the end of May. The British Catholic newspaper, The Tablet, citing diplomatic sources, said the two will meet while President Trump visits Italy for the G7 summit in Sicily. The President and the Pope have sometimes been at odds over immigration, especially in relation to the U.S. border with Mexico but also in regard to recent executive orders. The Pope has made refugee assistance a key focus of his papacy and has temporarily named himself head of the refugee and migration section of the new Vatican Dicastery for the promotion of integral human development. The U.S. Bishops' Conference is the first line of communication and engagement with the U.S. government on immigration and refugee issues. They're very engaged in this issue. Other positions, such as Trump's promise to support pro-life policy goals, could have a bearing on U.S. relations with the Holy See. Rome will work to accomplish what she can during Donald Trump's presidency. Make no mistake about it, whatever their differences, they will work with the president on the issues on which they agree. That's what they did during the Obama administration, and it's what they're going to do now. It's been a question in many minds, how long would it be before President Trump makes a visit to the Vatican? Now we know, more or less, four months. Remember, America leads the way to Rome. The Protestants of the United States will be foremost in stretching their hands across the Gulf to grasp the hand of spiritualism. They will reach over the abyss to clasp hands with the Roman power. And under the influence of this threefold union, this country will follow in the steps of Rome in trampling on the rights of conscience.
That's Maranatha, page 187. Next, why does religious affiliation of the U.S. Congress look different than the U.S. population? Since 1961, those who claim no religious affiliation have risen to nearly a quarter of the population. Yet 91% of the members of the U.S. Congress claim to be Christians. However, the makeup of congressional affiliation has changed significantly since the 1960s. The share of Catholics has climbed substantially from 19 in 1961 to 31% today. And while the share of Protestants has fallen from 75 to 56%. And while the share of Jews has remained roughly the same since the early 1980s, more Buddhists, Mormon, and Muslim politicians have now been elected to Congress in proportions that more or less reflect those of the general public. The group that is most notably underrepresented is the religiously unaffiliated, say Pew researchers who did the review of the data. Only one member of Congress lists no public religious affiliation, even as 23% of the general public see themselves that way. Prophecy tells us that religious institutions will have an enduring importance in American political life, despite a decrease in the number of people who actively identify with them. Part of the reason for the gap, says John Green, a political scientist at the University of Akron, has to do with the social characteristics associated with success in politics. Religious organizations are really important parts of communities in the United States, Green said. Members of Congress tend to be active and engaged in the community, while nuns tend to be less engaged in community life, he adds. Congressional representation of nuns could change over time. Religious legislators will play a big role in the end-time religious environment in the United States. In fact, they will require all to worship in the same way under pressure from pastors, priests, and other church leaders. Therefore, it should be no surprise that lawmakers outnumber the population in their so-called Christian identity. In the last conflict, the Sabbath will be the special point of controversy throughout all Christendom. Secular rulers and religious leaders will unite to enforce the observance of the Sunday. And as milder measures fail, the most oppressive laws will be enacted. It will be urged that the few who stand in opposition to an institution of the church and a law of the land ought not to be tolerated. And a decree will finally be issued denouncing them as deserving of the severest punishment and giving the people liberty after a certain time to put them to death. Romanism in the old world and apostate Protestantism in the new will pursue a similar course toward those who honor the divine precepts. Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 4, page 444 and 445. Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in his loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.